welcome to Better Cast Saul, the officially unofficial podcast for Better Call Saul on AMC. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about season four, episode six, titled Pinata. Uh, what'd you think of this episode on second viewing, Aaron? Uh, I still think it's a good episode. I think the standouts are uh, Mike and uh, Stacy, uh, Gus and Hector, um, you know, Jimmy's uh, pinata gambit. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I, I still just don't know how I feel about the Gus reveal because it really it really changes a lot about what I thought was that was was the character and puts it more into the the realm of a facade that he's been wearing, which I yeah, it's always been part of Gus's duality. Right. But this mm-hmm. was just like instead of a man who is a re- fairly reasonable you know, businessman with maybe powerful, powerful connections to the Chilean political regime uh, uh, of the 70s through 90s. He's now more of a Dexter type. And I, I, I just I don't know how I feel about that. What do you think? Uh, Yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I don't have a problem with a guy who's supposed to be a bad guy turning out to be a bad guy. <laughs> um. I understand, like, you know, the the details of it are something that people can certainly get hung up on, and, and rightfully so, maybe. Uh, but I guess it doesn't bother me quite as much um, that, you know, maybe this is a mask that he's wearing. Maybe this cool guy persona is... I mean, that is that is him, right? The patience, the, the, the things that made him a good drug dealer were founded early in... in I guess his career when he was seven, you know, he, he had the, that patience and that ability to, to wait out the competition, uh, wait for the right time. Um, that kind of thing. I, I think that adds to what we already knew about Gus, um, in a meaningful way, but you're right. It does kind of change the nature of who he is. He, he clearly has like a, a lot of pathos going on yeah, behind yeah. the scenes, which we weren't privy to before. And I guess like changing the character is not the problem to me. I guess it, it's much more of a problem for you where you're like, well, I had this vision of a character that's now getting filled in more and maybe not to my liking. Yeah. I'm not even sure. Like when I say I'm not sure, I, I honestly mean that I, I'm not sure. Like it, I gotcha. guess it depends on where they go from here. If, uh, this is an excuse to make him an axe wielding maniac in some future scene. Like I'm going to be disappointed if it's I, I like I said, if it's if it's just color for the character, I I think I don't know. Like I, I but there but there again, like, you know, I guess I had always seen uh, 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 Gus as like some mid-level leader in the Pinochet regime that might have found a lot of things going on in his country distasteful and was like fleet or um but but I never like now I kind of see him as like he's probably the guy that works in the dungeon interrogating people he like could he's be. probably the guy yeah. sli- uh, sliding exacto knives underneath fingernails and getting ca- like it's it's a completely different uh different take on where his character came like i thought he would probably came for some place like it was like fairly well off um you know because like he's spoken in hushed tones around the, like the cartel like they don't have respect for him but they also have a measure of kind of fear and respect for him is if that makes sense mm-hmm. um and like i always thought it's because he came from like this this you know disgraced political regime and and now it seems like it might just be because he's a lunatic uh 
<laughs> I don't know. The the polos, uh, Polos Hermanos as, as Loco. What what are you going to say? I, I mean, I guess I feel the, the one thing I do feel you on uh, really well is the idea that Gus was Gus was a threat because he was a threat, not because he was an actual like scary dude. Yeah. It, it, like in Breaking Bad, we only ever saw Gus get truly angry one time in Breaking Bad and slit Victor's throat, right? Well, um, other than the <laughs> I've killed Don Eladio and all of his you know, like yeah, other yeah, than the But get his own hands dirty, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. he doesn't really get his hands dirty in that scene, you know? Right. He he lets his guys do it for him. Right. Um but yeah, they in in Better Call Saul they're threatening to make Gus more of an action guy. Mm-hmm. Uh and that's not really the Gus that I know. And I guess maybe there's room for him to change over the years, but I guess I never had this vision of when Gus was younger, he was the guy who was out there putting bags over people's heads and, right. and slitting throats all the time. I'm like, I always, I, you know, this is all just my own conjecture and my own head, but I always had in mind that he was some kind of, in like some kind of Chilean aristocracy, you know, like mm. from old money that like he's either, uh, you know, he's some way involved in support of Pinochet or maybe he, his family fled the regime because the house is being cleaned or whatever, but the, yeah, and it, like like um, Gus coming from abject poverty is also like like there's a whole lot of trimming the t- the the character to fit the the uh, the Vince and Peter's vision of what he was and who he was that did not at all match what I had seen and like <laughs> not just like on multiple layers. So it's just like um, it's it's a little bit of like culture shock that like oh I I thought this guy was one thing and and he's another and also I'm not sure how I like it. It's going to be interesting to see how because because like it's one thing to give John Carlos Pizzito a badass speech to deliver, which mm-hmm. he did very well and is very menacing and creepy and like all these things, all these new directions they're taking the character. He he r- hit at home, but like if this doesn't fundamentally change our perception of Gus or if nothing, and, and it's, it, it's a very tricky thing because we have multiple seasons of our expectations for Gus set. So like they have to have, they have to give a reason for him to act differently. Um, and I think they have, but now are they going to, are they going to actually have him act different differently? Or maybe not. Maybe this is I- yeah, I don't know. I mean, like I said, there's room for a character to change in the sure. What five is it? Five years uh, between now and Breaking Bad. Yeah, uh, maybe maybe even more like six uh, to the time we meet Gus in Breaking Bad. But I mean, there's room for him to change. But also, I think the the important part of that scene, um, and and maybe like some of the the stuff around the edges is what we're getting caught up in. But the important part is saying that Gus is an extremely patient person mm-hmm. and that he is extremely protective of what he builds and right. anything that would fuck with that. He's going to put all of his patients to work in order to fix that problem. And Hector is that problem. Right. And, and it also, I think it has an interesting side effect of like, it you know there's a lot of um, conjecture about his relationship with Max like maybe that was a special relationship like more than just like a you know mentor talented uh, protege kind of relationship maybe it's a yeah. lot I don't think that you have to understand that Gus and Max were lovers for him to have that extreme reaction if a seven year old boy was so pissed about essentially a long snout raccoon stealing his fruit. <laughs> 
than the cartel just dismissing his plan and blowing the brains out of his business partner. That's that's it. Like he doesn't need any more motivation. They don't have to be lovers. They didn't have to be sure. grow up in the same, you know, dusty desert desert uh, streets of the you know some some Chilean ghost town. Like it's just the cartel fucked with his plan, and he's he and he he was denied his ripe fruit, and now he's going to torture them all to death. Uh, yeah, could be. Yeah, I mean, there's like a lot of real ripple effects, I felt like, from this reveal of Gus. And it'll be interesting to see whether, A, after everything said and done, the speech is justified. Because part of me kind of thinks that, like, well, they just wanted to give Giancarlo something really cool to do. (laughs) And they had seven minutes of screen time to fill, so bada-bing, bada-boom. And that... That kind of stuff, it's kind of like that to me is as, as egregious as like a Tuco cameo out of nowhere. Like, gotcha. you know, I want this to serve a plot point and I'm curious to see if, it, if it's going to. Well, I think, you know, in this intro, we're getting caught up in, in the margins here uh, yeah. of, of the show Better Call Gus uh, <laughs> because the main thrust of this episode in my mind is Kim and Jimmy. And I think they Certainly. have a truly excellently constructed flashback at the beginning of this episode Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe we should talk about that yeah let's get into it before we get into the episode proper a couple of notes about what's going on here at baldmove.com number one it's our empire business season this is the behind the scenes look at a podcast startup that we do for our members Uh, if you want to be uh, in on that join the club Uh, this week we dropped one on our general on the club itself and updates about uh, membership and plans for the future. Next week, we did a interview with Jason uh, from Podcastica about running a podcast network uh, that will be dropping. We'll be have one of those a week out uh, until we run out of Empire Business topics, probably six to eight weeks from now. Uh, also, we're in full swing with Better Call Saul. Don't forget every Monday night at nine or about 10 after 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we do our Instant Talk podcast, where if you have seen Better Call Saul and you want to chat in with us, you can do so via YouTube. Uh, We're wrapping up Game of Thrones this week. It's the final episode of Season 3. We're completing our summer Season 3 rewatch. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, It's not too late to catch up with us and do that. Two other TV things I almost forgot to mention. One, Jim and I started coverage of The Deuce, the new David Simon project. Uh, It's Season 2 of that on HBO uh, we're covering that on the Bald Move TV feed, and Cecily and I are blowing off the dust of the American Horror Story podcast feed this week because Ryan Murphy's coming back, and we're drug out of retirement. We're here for the new uh, apocalypse season. Uh, we'll have a podcast out for that. We're going to be doing an instant take on Wednesday nights, and then a feedback and further thoughts podcast later on in the week, probably Thursday, maybe Friday, depending on Cecily's schedule. Uh, last week, we took in a horror. We're on a horror movie kick. We did Little Stranger. <laughs> last week, we did The Nun. Uh, this week, we're doing Mandy, which purports to be, I don't know, like an art house horror <laughs> film starring an unhinged Nick Cage. Oh, yeah. It's, it's essentially required bald movie viewing. We're going to check it out and tell you what we think about it. Uh, that's all the stuff happening this week at baldmove.com. All right, we start off with a uh, flashback to Jimmy and Kim, both working in the mailroom at HHM, and they're going around collecting entries for an office movie awards pool. Uh, is it is the Oscars? I assume it's the Oscars. Yeah, the, it's yeah. the Oscars, and, and the movies they're discussing, there was uh, Howard's in Scent of a Woman, puts it around the 2003 Oscars. Yeah, or, that, I'm that's sorry. Right. 
the 93 Oscars, which mean, right. means this takes place uh, almost a decade before the mainline events. And it's all exactly. extremely blue shifted into the deep blue hue of the past uh, <laughs> which in the film processing. makes that very, very blue scene from last episode I know, strange. Man. I know, I know. I, like, you got to be real consistent with those color, those palettes. And if you're not... right things can get confusing because i don't think that the mike stuff is happening in 1993 no certainly not that far but i don't think it's i don't think it's a flashback period so no i don't either it, it, i thought it was somewhat confusing last episode and then when they used it again like yeah it, it, this was easy because they they tied it to a particular time and place but right yeah you're right it is something i think they need to keep an eye on so chuck gets a standing ovation for winning a case that kim believes was a genius bit of lawyering when Kim gets a chance to speak with Chuck, she congratulates him and shows off a bit while Chuck condescends to Jimmy. Uh, Howard takes Chuck away to drink, and Jimmy and Kim continue their rounds. Uh, on his way out, Jimmy sneaks into the library to ogle the tomes of law. I mean, the whole point of this scene is to drive home how much Jimmy pursuing a law degree was for Kim and Howard's, or I'm sorry, Kim and Chuck's approval. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's driven by embarrassment. You know, shame of of who he is, I think. Well, but also when Ch I think it's telling when when Jimmy says to to Kim, you know, as as, as uh, the Chuck's getting abducted to see the, the, the Mr. Bushmill in mm -hmm. Howard's office, he says, well, that'll be you soon. And she's like, yep. And he realizes I want this woman. Uh, I'm in, I'm a, I'm a, her peer now, but she's going to walk right over me if I don't like, you know, do something substantial. Yeah. And that's the, I guess that's the inherent patheticness of Jimmy is that how much of his life is built around a carefully manicured image, uh, for other people, mm -hmm. you know, like his dad is kind of like a soft headed goofball, but like. I think he was doing like all of the things like, you know, all, all the times he got scammed, he was trying to be a good person for no real public gain. It's just that's that was consistent of the image that he wanted to do. Jimmy, everything about him like this, this scene, you can't understand without looking at the scene of, uh, you know, Kim kind of like lowering the boom on his dreams later on because Kim sees that Jimmy is into everything but criminal law. And that mm -hmm. little sketch pad of his, and then he smoothly pivots like, "Oh yeah, I was thinking about getting back into criminal." It's transparent, yeah. And th this, like him, it, it's like I said, that's so sad that like to get to get the love of this woman that he wants and his brother that he is going to completely transform his his life mm -hmm. in a fairly. I mean, that's a that's a snap decision. You go from happily pushing the mail cart around and doing a side hustle on Oscar bets to going into the law room, mm -hmm. going to the law library and cracking uh, what Minnesota v Cincinnati or whatever the the, the case law was. Um, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was uh, it, it was pretty sad. It was pretty sad in, in context of the rest of the episode. It is. Yeah. And uh, I think. There's even a lot more going on with other characters in this scene, like Howard and Chuck. Mm -hmm. um, you, you can see, like, Chuck's getting... Ch Chuck is the hero of the day, and, and we learn, you know, over the course of Better Call Saul, and it's driven home in this scene that Chuck is not just the hero of the day, he's the hero of the firm. Right. Uh, and when Chuck is gone, look how Howard is affected. You know, Howard's basically unable to keep this company running. Yeah. Without the reputation that was founded on Chuck. So 
like that's also another sad i guess like chuck being the cornerstone of this is kind of sad as well yeah uh, you see kim's adoration idolization of right. chuck and her passion for the minutia of the law um all the things that i guess we intuitively understand about these characters are on display in this scene i just think it's so well crafted and it's it it's not a lot of time no. that, that all of these people are in the same room yeah, Jason B. from New Jersey mentioned that in the flashback, there's the movie uh, gets mentioned Howard's End, while in the present day part of the episode, it looks like that HH&M is like circling the drain. Huh. Like okay. that, you know, with with we, we talked about an instant cast about how, uh, you know, Vince Gilligan, we originally coined the term the bacon gauntlet to talk about his ham handed or ham fisted way of doing like, um you know, foreshadowing in some cases, and you got to wonder uh, with with that movie drop and his encyclopedic knowledge <laughs> of, of of pop culture, that's got to mean something, right? Yeah. And also, you know, you you pointed out like Kim's love for minutia of the law, like it. This is an example of Howard's minu- Yeah, like he saved a day by pulling some obscure case law out of his ass, but mm-hmm. it was for the acquisition of money. This didn't free a man. This didn't like this was yeah. this, this this was I mean, it's probate. So he saved uh, his family's fortune from the clutches of an evil corporation, I guess. But like you got, got some bit of justice. Yeah. Yeah. I but think. but but Kim Kim is getting disillusioned with doing this kind of, uh, you know, legal dexterity just to get a bigger office and to get to get more money. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's that's kind of an interesting uh, change for her character as well. Yeah. All right, so we move on to the next morning. Uh, wait, no, it's not the next morning. It's later that night. Uh, Kim's making notes on the Mesa Verde case while the PD case has tempted her away from her real work, and she resists for now. But when she goes to bed, she finds some doodles of the Wexler and McGill sign that Jimmy's dreaming up. She doesn't seem to be too happy about that. Yeah. And here's a perfect illustration. Like Kim is doing legal wrangling to allow a variance for this this company's giant horse sculpture they want to put in front of their bank. Like, who gives a shit? Like, as she'll later describe it, like I'm just <laughs> doing legal wrangling for to compensate for someone's overblown ego. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's that's pretty telling. And then her. Like what I think is interesting at the beginning of the scene, she goes over and she smiles at Jimmy sleeping. So you can still tell there's a lot of love there, yeah. a lot of affection. She picks up the legal pad and Jimmy's just got like, you know, it's got, you know, Wexler and McGill banking and bankruptcy, banking and immigration, banking and gaming, banking and IP law. Like, I, I think it's funny because like bankruptcy and banking i think is a really particular like you know it's 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 the two sides of the same coin kind of thing um gaming is funny because it's gambling and like you know that would suit jimmy like hand and glove immigration is kind of i guess the most high-minded like trying to find people that are wanting to come to america and getting a slice of the american dream mm-hmm. intellectual property just seems like uh what the fuck but it's it's just like it just it just seems I mean, this is kind of like a lovesick teenager doodling, you know, Mrs. or Mr. Kim Wexler on his notepad over and over again. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Like there's it's it's just a dream of being and having an office with Kim. There's no real consistency of vision on his part. And I think that really disturbs Kim. No, and it double disturbs her in the scene in the restaurant where he says, oh, I've been thinking about going into criminal law. No, you haven't. Right. No, you, I've seen your notes and then you don't know what you want to fucking do. So right. you and just know you want to do it with me and I don't want to do that. In the beginning of this, as we're about to talk, like they are so close to have to to, to plain dealing with each other. Yeah. They have a moment of honesty. But Jimmy can't, he, he really can't commit, especially mm-hmm. when he's tempted beyond what he can bear, which is, you know, Kim looking like she's going to, to give up the dream of the partnership. Yeah. All right. So the next morning, uh, Jimmy gets ready for work and Kim asks him if he's scheduled an appointment with a the therapist. Jimmy tells her the truth. He's decided not to go because that's not the way he wants to deal with Chuck's death. And he wants to move forward instead. He says he's on a path, but this path that he's on unfortunately is the wexler mcgill path which you can see kim does not want to be on that path that you can see the worry on her face when he talks about this path yeah i mean this i think it's i I think it's interesting to see jimmy be fairly honest about his reasons for moving Mm -hmm. like a um you know, it's it's that's the whole thing. It's like, well, you know, therapy, it's all navel gazing about the past, um, you know, and then that's like kind of conventional wisdom that like, you know, you just you saw you just get you just get obsessed about the past. Yet we see it as wisdom when when you trot out the old chestnut of those who are ignorant of history or doomed to repeat it mm. like so world and U.S. history, good personal history. Oh, let's not examine that too bad, like too much. And him just wanting to move forward. Well, if you take all the same problems and maladaptive practices that got you into trouble and you just take it to a new situation, guess what? You're going to re-engineer <laughs> yeah. uh, all the old mistakes. And, you know, like I actually think that this is kind of like a good statement about therapy because it just shows how wrongheaded and broken Jimmy's relationship to it is and how Mm -hmm. he thinks it's the one thing, but it's really, it's, it's something else. Um, but like, it's funny because Jimmy takes this like baby step towards honesty. Like that's the, 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 the slip and Jimmy thing would be like, Oh yeah, you know, I made an appointment and yo boy, it's going to take him weeks to get me in and just kind of keep kicking. Then maybe Kim will forgive, give up. But he actually takes a stab at being honest with her, tells her something, something she clearly doesn't want to hear. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting because like Kim withdrew, like she's not giving her like honest opinion of like, Oh, well, you know, it's whatever you want to do. And Jimmy mirrors that in the later scene. Um, which I think is 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 pretty good character work. Mm-hmm. All right, so Kim goes to Schweikert and Coakley to pitch them on an idea, build out a banking division of their law firm, and we'll find out more about that here in a bit. But uh, this is, I mean, this is a direct result of her finding that pad and Jimmy, you know, using her as kind of like a career life preserver. Like she, mm-hmm. this is this is an exact. This is like a, a Jimmy move because she's essentially, um make like engineering a situation will be impossible for them like like that no one like yeah. like instead of being like you know jimmy i just don't want to do this with you anymore or my my what what i want to do is change she's like ah you know swiker pulled up with the truck full of money what am i supposed to do it's the best of both like mm-hmm. you're the one that created that situation though kim yeah no she's making it easy she's giving herself the easy way out yes um, instead of telling jimmy what it is very difficult to tell him yeah, it's funny because like it, the the reason Kim and Jimmy are bad relationship is it seems like 
all of their negative attributes rub off on each other and none of the other's good qualities are actually rubbing off. You okay, know, yeah. like, like, you know, Kim is learning this like emotional duplicity and kind of like, you know, in runs around, you know, a frank emotional discussion and, and, but she's picking up Jimmy's kind of shitty work ethic and, 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 and all that. And Jimmy is not learning anything about Kim's worth at work ethic and slow and steady. And to build something to be proud of, it takes a lot of like tiny, tiny decisions. It can't just be like one big showy thing. And, and, yeah. you know, I'm not sure what bad qualities he's picking up from Kim, <laughs> but I'm sure if there are. She he's doing it. Probably. She just doesn't she doesn't clean her toilet. I guess not. And he's just yeah. like, I thought that was, you know, a thing to do, but I guess you can just never clean your toilet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's Have you true. seen Kim's toilet? I haven't, no. It's because it's unfilmable. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Good to know. Uh so Mike and Gus tour a new facility, which is a warehouse that's going to become the German housing compound for the duration of the super lab build mm-hmm. uh, mike wants a bunch of amenities because he knows the work will be hard and they'll have to keep the workers comfortable uh, he also plans out an elaborate security network when gus says yes to everything approves it all uh tyrus comes in and says oh bad infection you better get there which we know that to be hector uh and and he's tyrus sets about getting everything that mike needs yeah, I like the thing about like when Mike says you got a pin because I don't need a pin. I'll remember it. And Mike's like, okay, and he you did. Know, he fucking did. That's the thing. Like you pull that shit, you better be able. You to remember better it, yeah. be. You better fucking be able to to deliver because man, nothing more annoying than like a waiter glibly saying, "Oh, I can remember it," and then like half your order's wrong. Like right. no, fuck you. Get a pencil. Yeah. But Titus, Titus is no ordinary waiter. He he got. Uh, all the substitutions correct. All the meats were cooked to appropriate temperature. It is an interesting point is keeping alive versus climbing the walls. Like I kept mm-hmm. thinking of Fargo and like how much that situation fell apart because uh, William H. Macy thought about keeping him alive. But, you know, the phone call from Steve Buscemi, I'm bouncing off the walls here. Where did I get some action? Like, like so much stuff went wrong because, you know, there's nothing to do. And they went, they went stark raving mad up at the, 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 the lake house. So yeah. it is, especially with a guy like Kai, you, you better keep him distracted. 10 hours yeah. of hard work. And then like the other thing is I, when they were walking through the ever present buzz from that sodium lighting, mm-hmm. high intensity lighting, like imagine being there for 10 months, <laughs> right? That you're working jackhammers, you're either underground digging or, fucking tunnels or, or like, like it's, it's, it's the work conditions are terrible. You got to give them something. Yeah. Keep them drunk. No, that's a hard job for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about Kai. We'll get there on Kai. But the whole, Jesus, like, I also think it's kind of funny, the whole single point of entry. I know, like, Mike is keeping, like, the whole thing under constant surveillance. But, mm-hmm. like, these guys are German engineers that do demolition <laughs> for a living. Like, how are you going to yeah. keep them in this metal box if they don't want to be kept in? I mean, they're going to spend 10 hours a day building your super lab. And they're going to spend the <laughs> other 14 tunneling out of there so they can Ex- get some fucking action. Exactly, exactly. They've got all the equipment. Right, right. Just going to dig out. Right. That's that might that might be on the table. If, uh, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Well, no, I'll wait. I'll wait till another scene to, okay. get, to deploy this joke. Uh, the, another interesting thing I noted in this scene is the Werner says it's gonna be six months, just like the French guy who was deemed unacceptable uh, with his new techniques and his you know seemingly uh, cavalier attitude about the project. 
Werner says it's going to be about the same time. Well, Gus knows uh, process matters. Like you can get a good, you can get a, a perfectly workable answer that's right from a bad process. That doesn't mean the process is good. Like you know, this Werner took out the fancy German Rockspielhammer and and he got his. Uh, uh, what if the other guy can just eyeball it? He's been doing <laughs> it for longer. He's better at it. Yeah, he's got the modern techniques to where the concrete type, uh, the rock type, doesn't matter. Like. I, I, I don't do know. Think they it, might have dismissed that guy a little too early, I, seeing that the quote is exactly the same. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm sympathetic to the idea that like the real thing that sunk him was his loose lips about El Paso. Yeah, the combination, right? Yeah, of that and of the glibness and not consulting all the details and all that. But yeah, and then uh, like you know, Mike is already like. Uh, you know, essentially scottying him mm-hmm. by saying, oh, he says six. It's going, you know, full, that's going to be eight, probably 10. <laughs> uh, pretty, pretty good stuff. Yeah. All right. Jimmy's on the phone with a sign manufacturer, but they're not giving him exactly what he needs. He gets a call from the nephew of the woman in his original commercial who's recently died. Her name's Geraldine Strauss. Uh, he, this guy has some questions about her will and Jimmy's saddened by the news of her death and refers the guy to HHM since he's not currently practicing. And later he goes home and he pulls out the tape with the commercial and he watches it. I still have a feeling that we're going to see this Alpine Shepherd boy get stolen. Yeah. Like that's going to be the, uh, you know, the the, the annual reminder that Slipping Jimmy is capable of being better call Saul. Mm-hmm. Like we saw him in his like the way he manipulated with glee those uh, elder women in the elder care facility. Uh, we, we've We've seen hints here and there, but like this is going to be... The like, oh, Jimmy, you know, you had like and because like the other thing is like it contrasts this relationship he had with this woman to his his own brother. You know, he's he's more broken up about this than he was uh, Chuck burning himself alive. Yeah, Uh, that's all. That's all interesting stuff. And I also think it's interesting when the guy says, you know, oh, McGill, isn't that you? And Mm -hmm. he just kind of dismisses it with that coincidence. Mm -hmm. You know, he doesn't want to get into the story of his brother both because right. you know he doesn't want to have to tell a long ass story of a stranger but also i feel like because he doesn't want to really think about it very hard exactly uh it would be a shame to have a breakdown on a phone with a stranger <laughs> i guess uh and then after that jimmy gets a call from kim who calls him to the hotel restaurant where they've conned people in the past and she tells him that schweikert and coakley wants her to build their banking division and she thinks it's a good idea since her pro bono pd work has been getting in the way uh, Jimmy pitches her on the Wexler McGill criminal law dream, but she is much more interested in the Schweikert and Coakley job. Jim excu- Jimmy excuses himself, and when he returns, he tells her she should do what's best for her. Which I thought was interesting, because I feel like Jimmy is really saying, do what's best for you, and I'll do what's best for me. Hmm. There's this implied, like... And I'm going to get back to the cell phone thing as soon as possible. Well, I mean, it's there seems like there's a clear like there's a clear connection between this and the palette of cell phones as there was with, you know, Kim and and going to Schweikert and saying, I need to unload this stuff. So, right. Um, but I mean, I thought uh, Odenkirk did some real good work when he excused himself and had like just a complete crisis of identity and and future uh right outside the kitchen like that was mm-hmm. a really uh, a really great choice um but no i mean 
the no one is be like like Kim's manipulating him by taking him to this hotel and having the Mexican mules ready and like trying to really softly lower the boom on him. Uh, Jimmy responds by lying a whole bunch about what he intends to do. And Kim gently shuts the door on him that he goes off and has his nervous breakdown and then comes back and says, oh, yeah, whatever. Do what's best for you. And but also like a lot can happen in 10 months. I wonder because because you're saying like. You're saying that Kim, that Jimmy is like, well, yeah, you you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna sit around worrying for me. You're gonna sit around and, and I'm gonna sit around worrying about you. You're gonna sit around and worry about me. But like, the energy at the end of that scene is like Jimmy has ten months to do something mm-hmm. that might change Kim's mind, yeah. and to do that he needs seed money. Like, I I don't know that like this is like, well, now I don't have to worry about Goody Two Shoes Kim. No, 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 okay, not at all. It's okay. I think there's like your best laid plans, Mm -hmm. you know, like go make your plans with Schweikert and Coakley and let's see how they turn out. Yeah. When Jimmy gets involved. Yeah. It's almost like. Do you think he's going to directly sabotage her or he's he's going to try to. I mean, not not as directly as all that. Like he's done things that have directly sabotaged her unintentionally, I guess. Uh, But yeah, I could see a future where Jimmy justifies to himself this is the way forward for both of us and i'm not going to let her get in the way of that yeah it'll be interesting to see if he can justify that if she is in a really good place with the public defender work and and that's another well, thing. i don't think their relationship is going to get rosier from here well sure but like it's a fundamental difference between jimmy trying to rig something in her favor to blows up in his and her face than him mean-spiritedly trying to sure. you know put some kind of anchor on her to keep, to hold her back so he can, can, can slip in at the margins. But I mean, I'm the guy predicting he's going to steal the Alpine shepherd boy from this <laughs> right. dead grandmother's favorite nephew. So Who just got out of college, probably needs the money for loans. Right. Right. Or maybe yeah. that's his only ma- memory of Nana. Like who, who the hell knows? Uh, yeah. I'm, it's pretty it's bad. bad. Pretty bad. It's quite a ride. Quite a ride. We're predicting. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we've only got four more episodes left, so, I don't know. It should be a good ride. So we go to Mike visiting Stacy at her home to apologize for his outburst during therapy. He says it was the wrong time and place, though he does stand by what he said. Uh, Stacy tells him that she'll never forget Maddie and that he shouldn't have to grieve for the rest of his life, uh, just like she shouldn't. And then Mike asks, hey, can I pick Kaylee up from school? She says, sure. This is a great scene, especially on second watch, because I noticed a lot of things about... You know, like Mike, he's unflappable. But as he goes up to Stacy's door, he has like this kind of like long sigh, and like he's he's stealing himself. This is something that he is nervous about, uh, and he's vulnerable about. Uh, and he just got off the job with Gus, so right, right, right. <laughs> that right, tells right. you like how he views his work and how he views his emotions, right? right. But I mean, I mean, I really like this is, I guess, the third start step of a Martin reveal for people exceptionally slow to her. Like, you know, I'll never forget Maddie that that's that was the subtext about the entire blow up and, and all that. That went from yeah. a private game he was playing with Anita to something he just had to act out out immediately. Um, speaking there, of there's that. A, oh, OK, go ahead. Yeah. Like Anita not being happy. Like. Yeah. I don't think they would introduce that character and then that would be the last we see of them. There's going to be got to be something else to that. Probably. Yeah. Um, I would agree. 
but you know mike being firm about oh it's you know it's 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 probably best to, uh that i just never tried to to mend that relationship i don't know yeah uh, and it, it's they're kind of paralleling a little bit jimmy and mike's reaction to emotional trauma mm, essentially right um you know with with chuck and with maddie they're both kind of just moving forward right mike is mike is carrying that pain with him uh consciously i think jimmy's carrying it with him subconsciously uh, but they're both just kind of, you know, full steam ahead on their their career paths here. But that does keep a lot of people stuck in their past. The fact absolutely, that, like, I mean, but like Stacy and Kim, I think, are dealing with things much more uh, in a much more healthy way. Of course, like Kim, borderline, like she's she's doing some things that are probably self sabotage. I think, but Stacy seems to be willing to you know look inside herself and figure out what's wrong and maybe fix it right whereas right. mike and jimmy just full steam ahead man yeah why you know and that's it's so paradoxical because like oh why waste time dwelling on the past we'll just move forward well i mean that's not a great strategy if you're standing in the middle of a minefield sure. <laughs> carefully sure. carefully reconstructing how you got there and retracing those steps and then avoiding the problem in the first place is the is the real prudent course but you know, um, a lot of uh, it's just I don't know. It's modern psychotherapy goes against all of our animal instincts, you know, to hmm. fight or flee or like to stand there and ponder uh, is 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 was not an evolutionary advantage on the plains of Africa. <laughs> yeah. <it's laughs> when true. you were facing a crisis like bold action and some sort was probably the way. And it's just it's just not it's just not suited. And guys who are like, you know, men of action like. Uh, you know, both you can describe both 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 Jimmy and Mike. They're very different actions, but they are men of action. <laughs> Mike is the is the slow motion version of action, right? Right. You, you watch a clip that should be about three minutes, and it's six hundred hours, right? But no less violent. Whereas Jimmy sure. is all about like he's a whirling dervish of kinetic bullshit, and uh, but they're both. It's it, it's it's uh it's uh it's it's maladaptive. Uh, are our animal instincts in a modern society and in, in, in many, many cases. I will say I was, I don't know exactly how much time has passed in this episode, but I was very impressed with Mike's ability to get things done. And I guess by extension, Tyrus's ability to get things done because they have this fucking place set up next day. As far as I can tell. Yeah. I don't know that any time has passed. Right. Tyrus might've had that shit in his trunk and was like, yep, pool table, foosball, basket. I got you. Right. Right. Like, yeah. Like Mike has, you know, in a week or two put together this whole facility and the houses and he might move like a sloth, but his plans move like Jimmy. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, So Jimmy goes to HHM to pick up his $5,000 check from Chuck's estate and while he's there, he notices Howard is having problems. Uh, apparently, the firm's reputation and bottom line has taken a big hit. Uh, Howard doesn't have a plan to fix it, which pisses off Jimmy, who tells him, get your shit together and fight for your company. Uh, that makes Howard angry, which Jimmy tells him to use. They, yep. got, they, got, the, they got the full F-bomb, the uncensored F-bomb in this scene. Good for AMC for realizing that you can say that on basic cable after 9 p.m. Yeah. And the country will still stand. And I got to say that there's a lot of good stuff. There's a lot of sidetracking and back padding as is typical of the insider podcast in this episode. But there's mm-hmm. also a lot of really good information. They have Patrick Fabian on who's mm-hmm. the guy. He's plays always Howard. really good on the insider podcast. Yeah. I always enjoy him. He's such a, 
I mean, he sounds exactly like he does a, uh, a Howard with maybe like a slightly, slightly less bluster in his voice. I yeah, think. <laughs> but he just seems like a very cool, like down to earth guy. Mm-hmm. Like, like you know, that, that's 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 the trick, right? That's acting. That's why right. you know Jonathan Banks isn't actually a macrolide killer. He just is really good at portraying it on television. But, but anyway, but, what was Patrick saying? But there's a lot of interesting stuff in here about this fuck you, mm. Jimmy. Uh, the, I don't know, just like how you work up to that, like what it, what it does in the middle of the scene. And I, I won't go into it too much, but I think like Insider Podcast this week is worth listening to just for Patrick Fabian Warming and also up. some other stuff with the pinata scene. I, I, I just see this guy doing vocal warm-ups, like he's doing scales. You know, it's like, how do you warm up to it? Yeah. Fuck you, Jimmy. Yeah, it's good. And I... So how much of this shit is true about Howard and how much of, is Jimmy projecting? Because, like, the hair-going projection may be true, but, like, absolutely could be a case of projection. <laughs> because we know where Saul ends up. We know where Jimmy is now. Uh-huh. You're a shitty lawyer but a great salesman. Absolutely projection. Uh, you know, get your shit together. Stop wallowing. I mean... I think there's lots of different ways to wallow doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results as a form of wallowing. Sure. No, I think I think all of this is both a projection and the truth. I think Mm. that Howard is not the lawyer that Chuck is. And whether that makes him a quote unquote shitty lawyer, I don't know. Right. But uh, I do think he's wallowing much more than Jimmy is what Jimmy I don't think you could describe him as wallowing. You know, that moving ahead, mm-hmm. pushing forward thing is not really wallowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, wallowing might be good for you, but Jimmy doesn't view it that way. Right. Um, so I, I think, like, it's both, right? It, it can be both in this scene. And the, the this place is all you got is the other crucial thing. Like, I don't know yeah. that that's true of Howard. In fact, he might be happier if this place goes under and he can finally hang out his little shingle you know uh and 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 do that like whereas this place in the form of like wexler mcgill does feel like something that that's all jimmy had to look forward to that's like mm-hmm. as as we 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 heard his soliloquy with the the pd guy last year uh, last week you know he's fixing a lot of his hopes and ambitions on this thing with kim working out no and that's what worries me about his intentions because if that truly is all he's got and he's telling howard that the thing you've got needs to be fought for. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jimmy fights dirty. Mm-hmm. That's the definition of slipping Jimmy. So Kim might have some problems ahead of her. Right. Uh, so I, I do think it's crucial to note that Jimmy uses this $5,000 that he gets from Chuck's estate to buy phones to yeah. do exactly the thing that Chuck wouldn't want him to do with it. Right. Uh, and, and I don't know Seed if that's like a, a fuck you to Chuck. Hmm. Or if that's just a purely pragmatic, like, logical thing. I've got to get these phones. I got this money. Let's do this. Yeah, I mean, uh, he's trying to turn five into probably 20 yeah. or, 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 or 10 and then turn that into 20. Like, it's that's 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 this is a seed money. He's getting, uh, I don't know how many phones, but they we find out it cost him $4,000. He's got a thousand bucks left. Uh, does he? I mean, Huel and Man Mountain oh, probably want to get paid for their they And, their and the pinata rental, like, my God. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, those pinatas are 40, 50 bucks a pop, and Huel was going through them like, like, like candy. <laughs> and Huel can pack away some That's candy. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so Jimmy buys a half pallet. Maybe of that's cell how phones. he got to Breaking Bad shape. Like this, uh, all, all this, he ate the, this the yeah. candy from the pinatas he busted. Yeah, and it gave, it got him a taste. We're not going to see him again in this series. Is that's what you're right. saying? That's right. He's, He's just going to be in a hotel room eating candy. He's going to wallow in a, a, a hole of pinatas. <laughs> okay, we'll see. Maybe they'll check in with him from time to time. <laughs> His candy stack. I like to like. Do you think that has he been paying this for this office from from Mrs. Wynn this whole time, or like I wonder yeah, if it's I guess like he just, showed, he just showed up and like oh yeah of course I'm renting it out still you know <laughs> no I think he's probably got a lease on the place uh-huh. um and so yeah he's still been paying for the office but yeah and I like the whole like oh he got his oh pinatas for real eh, maybe we can make that work like it's it makes no sense until you see it later on in context but it's kind of cool how they played all their cards face up here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he does that. He buys a half pallet of cell phones, stashes them in his office behind the nail salon. Uh, salon owner wants him out just because she hates him, and Jimmy has to give her a phone to get her office back. Uh, I really love this shot of Jimmy through the wall of phones, and his reaction when he notices her, it's like, ah! Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like she's the Grim Reaper or something. Right. Uh, it's really good. Anyway, let's move on to Gus visiting with Hector to essentially tell him a parable. When he was a kid, he had a tree that he loved. The tree gave him a ton of fruit, which he made some money on by selling it in the market. Uh, a coati, coati, I don't know how to say that, started eating all the fruit. So Gus chased it under the house and waited for many hours until the thing finally got hungry and had to come out. Gus caught it and he kept it alive rather than killing it, which would have been the merciful thing to do. I mean, this is all, I don't think you have to dig very deep on this to understand what's going on in this scene. Right. He's, he's telling Hector, I'm going to wait until you come back. Right. Uh, and then I'm going to torture you forever mm-hmm. as long as I possibly can. Um, the, there is a little mixed metaphor because like, he's like, but I, but you're, you're, you're going to come because you're hungry. I, Hector hasn't struck me as hungry. Hector describes me as disillusioned and bored. Um, now, I mean, hmm. it's like, I know yeah. this is all going to work out exactly how yeah, Gus, yeah. Uh, 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 up till the the very final, the fi- very final moment. But like, again, I'm just not quite sure the scene, the scene is, I, 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 I reserve the right to say this scene was in retrospect, unwarranted and filler unless they do something really interesting with it. Because otherwise, mm. this is just a very, very flowery way of telling us everything we already knew about Gus. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And flipping our like some of our understandings kind of on its head. I did like I looked up some of this stuff, like what the Lakuma fruit tastes like, and apparently it's got a uh, flavor to people described as maple syrup, butterscotch, and sweet potato-y. What the fuck? Which sounds interesting. I would like and to try it. And it's a fruit? And it's a fruit. That's and this, weird. This kawadi is like uh, a member of the raccoon family, and it looks like a long snout raccoon. Um, okay. So. People were making a big deal about this not being like indigenous to Chile. Yeah, I saw uh, that Gus too. Gus says he's from. And right. Like, I mean, the kid was seven years old. We don't know how long he spent in in what areas of South America Right. I mean, there are a million reasons. Just because he ended up in Pinochet does not mean. um, Yeah. But also. Doesn't mean he was born there. Doesn't mean this had to have happened in Chile. Like that kind of stuff. Plus this. uh, It's it's from Peru. But that doesn't that border Chile. I mean, yeah, it's it's close. So like, is it that hard to believe that (laughs) there'd be, you know, I, I don't know. A stray 
Kawati. Yeah, like because it, it, and one that's struggling, one that's not exactly thriving in its non-native environment. That loves like a, the lacuna a, fruit. That that a kid has to. Uh, oh, you're talking about the animal. I'm talking about the tree. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was talking about the animal. Oh, well, yeah, raccoons can live anywhere. That guy's like, you know, if you bring one, of the, you you bring a breeding yeah. pair of those lounge along, they're going to give the short snout Native American raccoons uh, a run for their money, guaranteed. If it's about snout size, yeah, they'll be running each other off like like street gangs, having all the best 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 trash cans and and dumpsters of the city fighting over that that struggle. Uh, I do think Giancarlo Esposito makes this scene, and it, and with an actor who was a little less capable in the delivery of this monologue, yeah it would have fallen really flat for me. Yeah, and he, he really gets Crypt Keeper in his... Like, it, it helps that it's very, like, uh, it's very shadowy, and there's mm-hmm. all the symbols of death around Hector, and, like, he uses all that stuff to just get, like, Gus at his throatiest and, 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 and creepy and with his pale eyes kind of gleaming. Like, it's... uh, Yeah, it's, it's, it's scary, but... Again, not exactly how I've 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 pictured I pictured a uh, Gus like Gus starting his criminal career by torturing a raccoon to death for stealing his fruit from his tree is uh, is an interesting choice and we'll see how it plays out. Yeah. All right. The Germans arrive at the facility and begin acclimating to their impressive new surroundings. Mike calls a meeting and immediately becomes clear that one worker named Kai is going to be a problem. Mike gives them the rundown on the facility and procedures, and then Werner tells him that he'll keep everyone in line. Uh, Mike, you know, nods to him, then goes out to the security trailer and says, hey, keep an eye on this Kai guy. Yeah. This, yeah, this that's, facility. That's nice that Werner gave me his, uh, his, his the, the, the hood right. nod on it, but, but keep a look, keep an eye on him. Yeah, just in case Werner can't do what he says. Uh, Kai's all interested in, uh, like, where will be girls? Mm-hmm. Gonna drop off Wendy. Mike says within reason. I mean, this, sure. is, this is a way that, that that Vince Gilligan can put a nail in the coffin of the Kim Wendy theory. If he brings in Wendy, if he brings in Wendy, yeah, then then we know. What if she's moonlighting? She's moon. Kim's moonlighting. Yeah. Well, I mean, as, <laughs> as a this era Kim shows up, she's not gonna look. Re- you know, I don't know. A wig and some bad makeup, maybe, <laughs> maybe. So yeah. it's a wonder what makeup can do. <laughs> we will we will see. We will see. But um This Kai guy though, what, immediately what obviously a problem. Like what kind of person shows up on their first day of work and completely ignores the boss and basically makes themselves look like a huge asshole? I don't know. Like I, I get because like when we came in, it, the movie Armageddon was finishing up because like that was what was playing on AMC. And like I, when we were watching this, I didn't say anything. But like I literally thought like this guy's like Ben Affleck in fucking Armageddon. He's just like for some reason this giant fuck up who is the absolute worst and the big guy for reasons that are unfathomable to everybody else wants him on the big job, right? Like this guy showing up, fucking up everything, getting men killed, fucking your daughter. But yeah, I want to bring him in space because he's the best, best driller I got. Get the fuck out of here. He's certainly drilling Liv Tyler. (laughs) He is. He's good. He's he's, layers of animal crackers to get through. Cracking that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I, I think you're supposed to like, like part of me is like Vince Gilligan knows his audience enough that like we're just going to throw him some red meat 
this is a really obnoxious guy, mm-hmm. and I've just given, uh, you know, Mike is a guy not to be fucked with, Gus is a guy not to be fucked with, Tyrus and Victor, Ty- Tyrus and Victor, mm-hmm. uh, this guy's going to re- just meet a very bad end. He has to, yeah. I can't see any way forward in which Werner keeps him under control. Yeah, no. He doesn't seem like that kind of guy. Like, it's like, yeah, this guy is a fucking, like, I, while I was watching a scene, I was like, it's not out of the realm of possibility that, like, Mike is just going to take this guy apart. Yeah. I mean, it'd make a great box cutter demonstration. Yeah. For the rest of the crew. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you're coming over here, like, we are, we are taking care of you guys lavishly. If you can't, like, I mean, it's, it's very troubling that this guy is going to work on his project with as little, like, respect and brains in his head as he's got absolutely you know um now mike that's the thing that's why you got like fail safe you know he's got round the clock monitoring those dudes in those that trailer look serious too yeah like i don't think those germans are going to give them any problems no, if i mean it comes to it they're gus's dudes so or might be my see here's the thing where i think why because like there's a subtle thing where um you know gus is saying yeah i'll get men and mike's like well you know i'm gonna have to vet them all like i start to think this is where mike starts building a stable of his guys okay like these are guys that mike knows from law enforcement or military or whatever and he's going to start building you know like like his dudes that he's going to take care of like through the breaking bad era you know i mean yeah maybe maybe he's starting to build that stable i don't think these are actually his guys like people that he knew from the but past he did vet them personally sure, is the thing. sure right and i think you're also supposed to understand that like as he was doing the safety inspections of madrigal's various uh holdings that he is uh, identifying weak links that need to be you know like i, I it'd be interesting to see if he like manufactures reasons to fire these boneheads and then he replaces them with people that are absolutely reliable mm-hmm. that are like yeah this guy's a dock loader but he's also paid 200 grand under the table each year so so he fucking loads the docks the way you want them uh-huh. you know like i i i think that that's kind of like a soft prediction i got that we're gonna see that mike is just starts just upgrading everything about gus's empire yeah i mean that's kind of what he's there for right should be anyway yeah. Uh this whole facility to me has like a day of the dead feel to it. <laughs> where just this vast expanse uh with like trailers in it where they're living almost subterraneanely. Uh well, that, that lighting will turn you into a zombie for damn yeah, sure. Yeah, that fucking lighting, man. Mm. There's there's some good stuff on the insider podcast on that too. So mm. uh then we go to Jimmy who approaches the kids who beat his ass with a business deal. He's gonna give them a hundred bucks for each night that he's out selling phones if they'll just leave him alone. Uh, they decide to mug him again instead, and they chase him to an alley where Huel and Man Mountain are waiting, and they tie up the kids and hang them in a room full of pinatas. And then as Huel and Man Mountain begin smashing pinatas, Jimmy threatens the kids and tells them, this is their last warning, get out of the way or be smashed, essentially. Yeah, you refer to Man Mountain. Uh, I didn't watch the Insider podcast, but I did research that that is essentially the guy that Mike ran off after he disarmed simon from the walking dead yeah back in the whole uh i think that was the season one right what's what's the sandwich the p pimento oh yeah the origin of the yeah Yeah. uh the pimento spread so that was a nice little callback um Mm -hmm. i do you think i I really uh, so the this scene's pretty good i really like uh, dave porter's like uh chase music it's like this freaky collection of bells and other percussion things that doesn't sound like it should go together, but really builds a sense of urgency and mm-hmm. danger. Um, 
Do you think that Jimmy, these guys jump on his hundred dollar night offer? Does he just like go with that? Because I kind of think he does. Yeah, I mean, it, I think that's a good deal all around. This is his vetting of their intellect. Yeah, like yeah. if you don't see, like, look, okay, you robbed me another night. I never sell phones again. Then what are you going to do for your kicks? But this mm-hmm. is a hundred dollars every night. I'm going to be out here, every, like, you know, do the math. They can't do the math. So, like, I think he would kind of be happy to have them as low level muscle, you know, for a hundred dollars a night, but they just too stupid to understand the offer he's making. So he goes with man mountain and he will (laughs) man mountain and man mountain B I gotta say are much better muscle. Like they might not catch you, uh, in a foot chase, but but they can certainly put the beat down on somebody. Huel is not great muscle. Like he, he's, he might have a lot of other things going for him, but he's not good, but he is, he, he has the, like, what's the opposite of security through obscurity? Security through, you know, just bulk. <laughs> Being a big motherfucker. Yeah. yeah. Like, like I don't really want... And if he got, him, if he got his, his hands on you, he could probably muscle you out of door. But, like... Oh, he, yeah. He's surely yeah. not going to catch you. No, no. Um, also, Jimmy pretty confident in his cardio. They can outrun these teenagers. I mean, he's in a tracksuit. He is in a tracksuit. So... And he's got him flat-footed, and he didn't, you know, he didn't have to run that far. But, um... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be super confident that I could outrun a pack of teenagers. No, yeah. I'll tell you that, especially not 10 years from now, which I, I assume right. is Bob Odenkirk's age. 20 years from now, I don't know. But if you have a tracksuit. Yeah, maybe if I put a tracksuit on. <laughs> uh, I, I love this scene. I mean, the whole intimidation factor of the pinatas and smashing them. And then, like, uh-oh, these these beasts are out of my control. Right. Like, I guess, guys, if that's what you want to do, smash them. Uh, it's very intimidating. And I... I I'm constantly like listening to the insider podcast. I'm constantly amazed that any television or movies ever get made Mm -hmm. because of the restrictions on like how they can film and just the sheer number of people and the coordination it takes to make these things come about. Did you know that apparently they could only leave these kids hanging upside down for a minute and a half at a time? That probably that, 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 that seems yeah. Because how the fuck do you shoot a scene like this a minute and a half at a time? Yeah. That's just like, because I hear, you know, actors who are on set filming a scene for hours and hours sure, and hours sure, at sure. a time, doing it a minute and a half at a time and having to stop and, and get them down off the rig and then rig them back up and get them back. Right. Jesus, what a logistical nightmare. Right. But I on the other hand, it ever like, gets done. I imagine in the 70s, they probably left a bunch of kids hanging upside down for eight hours and oh, one yeah. of them stroked out. Yeah, absolutely. Something. I mean, there, so. there's a risk of blacking out and then dying of, of brain problems, like right. all kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're so right. I know why they do it, but I can't believe anything ever gets done. Right. Um, That's the kind of stuff I really like on the Insider Podcast. I, I will say that like this is a pretty big step towards criminality for jimmy like oh, criminally yeah. confining and threatening these guys is uh is is a big risk mm-hmm. i also don't know like it also seems like i like you know since we do have so many episodes to go i do believe that this is not the end like because now jimmy's raised this is this is jesse all over again right he's raised his criminal profile so now all those bikers that he sold phones to are they going to see him as like a threat or rival are they going to want to get their beaks wet in his action like mm-hmm. i don't think this is going to be a up oh, done deal i've i've handled the criminal element of of uh of of albuquerque yeah i mean i look at the criminal element of albuquerque and i say how many people are 
just like these kids. Mm-hmm. You know, how many people are going to see an opportunity, jump on it, long-term consequences be Like damned. any of these gangs, like, the, like yeah. the, if someone sees that someone running like a really effective scam, they're going to want their fingers in it. Like, yeah. you know. They'll either move in and push you out Why uh, do you, with the, force the, or the, yeah. they'll just straight up kill you. you like know? the mob ran protection racket, but they didn't stay there. They yeah. got into prostitution, into drugs, into gambling, into unions, and uh sanitation like if there was money to be made if anyone was making yeah. money even legitimately money they wanted to they wanted a cut so like i think that this is just the start of jimmy's problems re-ingratiating oh, yeah. himself to the street especially now he's doing it this isn't just slipping jimmy kind of like you know rip and roll kind of stuff he's he's doing he's setting up a business uh mm-hmm. a business outside of protection of the law so <laughs> yeah it'll be interesting to see how he competes on this market we'll see that's the end of the episode Hey, before we get to feedback, I want to tell you about the club. The club is how we primarily finance things here at Bald Move, and it's how we have the time to do so many podcasts. Right now, we're just off the top of my head. I think we're doing uh, The Deuce. We're doing Better Call Saul. We're doing Game of Thrones. We're doing American Horror Story. We're doing weekly movie podcasts, commission podcasts, club features. How's it all getting financed? It's five thousand dollar checks one at a time from H H and M. Actually, it's uh, it's it's uh, one one thousandth of that one at a time by our listeners to support us at club.baldmove.com. Uh, you get a lot for that money. There's tons of special features. None, the, the least of which is ad free feeds. So you don't have to hear me give the same same pitch week after week, like like Gus waiting by his tree <laughs> for the long snout raccoon to come with his chewed off leg and torture it to death. We are waiting for you to this. This has gotten, this has gotten really menacing and creepy. I feel like, I feel like the, the listener is, uh, I just had a stroke. They're surrounded by Saint Muerte. I'm whispering in their ear about coming after them and their cartel. Can we get in their pockets while they're while they're on the bed? Just rifle through for loose yeah. change. I, I mean, just it's, it's the club. <laughs> Club.baldmove.com. You can check it out. Not creepy at all. Uh, or it's as creepy as you want it to be, I guess. Uh, you know, strangers giving other strangers money on the internet, kind of sketch. But that's 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 it. There's never going to be any 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 South American raccoons or weird maple fruit. It's just, it's just, it's just a membership, just a membership thing. Sign up credit card, safe, secure club.baldmove.com. Well, we got feedback as you well know, better cast all at baldmove.com is how you send it in. You can also go through our forums, forums.baldmove.com. We have an episode thread each week. Uh, Janet has, we talked about um, phone technology and like the the price of phones and whatnot she says i work for a major u.s cell phone provider from 2006 to 2017 i know a fair bit about not only modern cell phone technology but the older technology as well Uh, as such i noticed what is actually a pretty major world building error with regards to where the cell technology was at the time this episode is supposed to take place there's a sign in the cc mobile store where jimmy works which advertises in spanish cellular plans with unlimited data the problem with that is that 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 data wasn't even really a thing during this time in the early 2000s. Yeah. While there was a very very primitive mobile web, mobile web did not exist as it does today. It billed a few kilobytes here and there, maybe a few megabytes, but the concept of unlimited data was unheard of. Mm-hmm. Uh, she also included a YouTube video of a contemporary ad from Verizon Wireless in 2003 and points out this ad doesn't even mention text messaging. During that time, it was all about the minutes. In fact, before data was actually billed as data, it was billed in minutes. If you connected to the mobile web for five minutes, you lost five minutes of time from your plan. Here's a link to the same general type of phone Jimmy is using or pushing to his clients. 
Um, what's the Sanyo SCP-5300? It mentions wireless web access via Sprint's 1X RTT next generation network. 1X RTT is very early a date, a mobile data type and would have likely billed per minute of connection. Um, that's interesting. And it kind of yeah. tracks what I was thinking too. Like I was there at the bleeding edge of the mobile data and like, it's fucking like even 3G seems so fucking slow if you're used to 4G or LTE speeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when you get into a, when you get on like a one X network been on that, it's useless. It's like, it's, you might yeah. as well not even use it. Yeah. Like, like, like you could make a phone call if you needed to. Right. You might be able it. to send a text, but like even getting an email is yeah. going to be sketchy. Uh, yeah, for it, sure. It wasn't even till 3G that you could watch video, and even then, it, it was such a clunky, shitty resolution. So, yeah, good point. Can you imagine what a cell phone plan with unlimited data would have cost at that time? <laughs> It'd be Monthly. like a satellite phone, right? It, it, it'd be like a thousand dollars a month. Right. It would be insane, right? And more than that, probably. All right, so that's uh, some problems with the the cellular data world building. James T. In reference to Gene's timeline in relation to the ending of Breaking Bad, as well as relation to the November 12th call that Francesca is going to take. That's a lot of relations. Mm-hmm. Uh, isn't it snowing on the day that Gene goes to the hospital and takes the cab ride home? If so, it's likely that Gene's panic attack takes place after November 12th. While it's not impossible for it to snow in mid-November in Omaha, it's far more likely that the snow takes place in December through March. Another clue might be a set design mm. of the mall in Omaha. I haven't gone back to check. Uh, but are there any seasonal decorations in the mall that Gene in the Gene scenes by mid November? One would expect to see Christmas decorations, perhaps Thanksgiving decorations for sure. Hard to imagine these details could be overlooked by the Better Call Saul crew. Uh, obviously, the snow is intentional. They must have a season, month, or specific date in mind for the uh, date of Gene's trip home from the hospital. I, I'm, I huh. wouldn't be surprised if the one thing they've had planned out from the beginning was the black and white Gene stuff. That seems yeah. like. The long con. Yeah, like, like, <laughs> hey, we should at least, if we're going to be doing this stuff, have an answer for, you know, and that's very close to the Breaking Bad timeline, so you would think they would have that a lot more thought out than how long it takes Jimmy to go from Jimmy to Saul and how Mike, this is relationship with his daughter, works out and how they meet Gus. Like, I, I, I buy that, and, you know, stuff that we've talked about and the timeline that, that uh, they just deployed this November 12th phone call makes it, it seems like they're confident that they're they're going somewhere. Uh, what year is all that taking place in? I don't even know. Wasn't Breaking Bad 2007, like the last like year was 2008? 2008 2008? to 2010. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. Um, so do we know what year the Gene stuff is taking place in? Um, How... I presume it's the year. Like, is it the same year? We don't know, but the assumption is it's the same year that Walt dies. Oh, right. Because of the, the news stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, not only that, but like statements, the stuff that Bob Odenkirk has said on in interviews and the November 12th, like. Okay, yeah. so it would have to be the same year. Yeah. It doesn't have to be. It's just that's what the speculation's going yeah. on. And then, yeah, they also didn't, yeah, I, th- I thought they, they did, did set a year, like d- during mm-hmm. the hospital stuff and I think other so. things. Yeah, he, he saw the news about Walt, I think. Yeah. So, like, I, yeah, I mean, I'm not super interested in trying to figure out what like exactly what's going to happen in the gene timeline, but there does seem like there's a lot of clues to to dig in there if you're interested. Mm-hmm. As far as the, you know, the mall decorations, like that gets tricky because like, I know in my lifetime, I've seen Christmas get advanced where it's now starting to take over Halloween. Like the stores have been doing <laughs> Halloween since uh-huh. back to school ended in mid uh, August 
and now they're in full Halloween swing. By the time Halloween is over, the Thanksgiving and Christmas stuff will already start encroaching into the stores. It's just an absolute fact. Now, mm-hmm. I do know that's kind of recent, and I don't know, like, in the 2007, like, I do think it's still pretty, like, by by two weeks before Chris, or Thanksgiving, absolutely you'd see Christmas decorations. Yeah. Like, fucking, what is a Thanksgiving mall decor, like a turkey here and there? Sure, cornucopia. Uh, yeah, you get a cornucopia going. Uh, pumpkins. The, pumpkins. The, you still got you, you got jack o' lanterns left right. over from yeah. Halloween. Turn them around, around, spin them around. Just hide the scary face. It's now uh-huh. a harvest thing. All right, let's move on to Gavin P. Regarding uh, more stuff about Gene's storyline, I think it takes place after Saul's disappearing, but before Walt is caught. Walt is in the cabin for an indeterminate period of time, but the vacuum guy indicates that he's given Walt at least two chemo treatments since he's been away, and he says when he leaves Walt that he will only resupply him once a month. This means that there's at least three months in the cabin. Not really sure of what to make of the time of the year Walt leaves since there's so much snow at the cabin and uh, on the car Walt steals, but it's his birthday is in early September. That's not what Lake August looks like in New England. Uh, Saul says, best case scenario, a month from now, I'll be in Nebraska managing a Cinnabon, which is exactly where we find him. Maybe Gene is so paranoid in the first episode of this season because Walt is still at large. Also, there's a Rich Eisen interview with Vince Gilligan where Eisen states that, the, uh, that Gilligan requested to use podcast audio from a specific six-month period of 2010, and that's what we hear in the headphones of the janitor and Better Call Saul Season 2, where Gene locks himself in a trash room in the mall. I don't know how this relates mm-hmm. to November 12th, 3 p.m. phone call, but I guess we'll find out. So that still goes back to your 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 guess of 2010 being pretty accurate about the the gene stuff taking place. Um, so, yeah, I don't his nervousness being that the that Walt's still out there and might want revenge on him. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense than law enforcement, honestly. Yeah. Uh, you don't think law enforcement wants to talk to this man? I mean, they probably want to talk to him, but I don't know that he's going to be. As paranoid about being talked to, or like uh, that there'll be big tough about dudes, being killed. <laughs> big tough dudes like trying to jump him, yeah, <laughs> right from law enforcement. Yeah, I actually never thought about that, but Walt might want him dead because he knows a lot. Oh, sure, and it's like you know that's Walt's deal is that unlike Mike who sees the you know yeah like, I mean look at the prison thing that went down yeah <laughs> like like he that, sees right? the value of taking care of people. Walt's just like he's so far gone that that's just the bottom line expenditure. Yeah. Jesus. Uh, Guy from Concord, you keep being surprised that over two months have passed the season, but you're not correct. It's been two months since Jimmy started probation, which started right after the trial and the sentence was announced at the beginning of episode 306. Hmm. Since then, there was community service, commercial scaling scam, the get the old folks mad at me plot, Kim's accident and Chuck's death and funeral. Actually, that is quite a lot to happen in two months. Um, I mean, yeah, I keep for and that's the thing, like, I guess I saw the community service is obviously a big one, but the commercial selling scam and to get the old folks mad, like I kind of felt like that took place in like a week. <laughs> like that was Jimmy desperately trying to figure out how to make the Wexler McGill stuff work and to get the money for it to keep that like to keep his uh, the his half of the thing going. But there's commercials and right, uh, and he had to sell it. And, yeah, but it, I felt, but but those things were like pre bought. So like they he he couldn't spend like a month selling those because half the slots would have gone by. Like I, I felt like they're 
Right. I, I, I mean, remember not... there were slots going by as he was doing it. He was right. like, oh, fuck, I missed another slot, you know? Right. Like, I, like I, I'm not disputing your main point, which is we shouldn't be as surprised. Um, yeah, you're right. And and I forgot that all that was happening in the background. But I also have no idea how much time, like, did a week happen between 306 and 401 or, you know? Yeah. I did feel uh-huh. like there was a little bit of a flash forward um, after, you know, right around Chuck's funeral. Right. Like, like, I feel like these episodes are taking place like know. a week apart lately. They could be. Yeah. I mean, you have to like you can't you cannot fucking get all that German housing set up in like 24 hours. Right. And, you know, Hector's been fighting for his like they, they got the grant for like, like, think about how long it take to get a grant set up, even if if uh, Gus is hurrying it up and get a doctor from Johns Hopkins out like, mm-hmm. you know, that 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 stuff takes takes a while, takes a while. They the the whole uh, arranging the fake shootout, the cousins retribution, their feud. Like there, there's definitely time elapsing in the margins. Um, so let's keep moving to Stephen L., or Stefano rather. Uh, I had a different read on the scene where Jimmy turns around on Howard. I could certainly be wrong, but I read it as Jimmy turning to Chuck for a moment because he actually feels bad for Howard or turning into Chuck rather. I got an impression that perhaps that that's the way Chuck might have barked at Howard on a rare occasion, uh, being inspirational, of course, which might further explain Howard's reverence for Chuck on top of his legal skills. I don't think Chuck only ever talked to Jimmy that way. And while Jimmy probably didn't find as much motivation from it, perhaps Jimmy senses Howard needs a swift kick and this kind of treatment from a McGill might be just what the doctor ordered. I read the pause and a sharp shift in tone is something of a pep talk, uh, perhaps the kind of cold read Saul does best, reading characters and knowing just what they want or need to hear. I feel like the scenes this se- uh, season so far with Howard have gone from Jimmy having nothing but disdain for Howard to starting to pity him. At least perhaps uh, he actually held Howard in some sort of regard and respect and the turn of events to HH and M is not what he hoped to see. I get the impression Jimmy is always waiting to hear someone at some point say, we were wrong, your brother was wrong, you're a great lawyer, and since he never gets that satisfaction, he'll always have the chip on his shoulder and never quite be able to leave slipping Jimmy behind. Do you think that Jimmy's barking at Howard here, like I read it as all projection and him essentially scolding himself, Uh, Stefan sees it as a pep talk. Yeah, I see it as projection, too. Because here's the thing. If he's giving a pep talk, why? Like, like I don't think he respects Howard. Um, I think he should. I think I've certainly grown mm-hmm. to respect him. But, like, they've made it pretty clear that with this, this is your cross to bear, that, that Jimmy is fine with torturing this man. I don't think he gives a shit about his brother's legal reputation at this point. Like, maybe subconsciously, but consciously, no fucking way. Mm-hmm. I think he's just 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 yelling at himself, and but you know, uh, it's not an invalid interpretation. Uh, anything else? Nope. Uh, Matthew C. Uh, Chuck drinks Bushmills, as Detective N- McNulty sagely observed in the wire. That's Protestant whiskey. Another reason. Hashtag fuck Chuck. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I I don't know the nationality of Bushmills, but. Yeah, they they Probably make a, Irish. They they make a note on the quality of it, I guess. Like on the way up, they're drinking mm-hmm. Bushmills, and then when they get to the top, they're drinking Macallan. So, mm. you know, maybe it's not the best quality. I don't know. I can't speak to the. I've never the had it. Intricacies of what nationality 
boozy drink. I mean, shit. I drink a, Kentucky dude. bourbon and I drink scotch. So right, but but you're Italian, so who gives a fuck? No, uh, I mean I'm not drinking <laughs> limoncello and Campari. So <laughs> what? Um, but yeah, I I. Uh, I, I I do like that maybe Howard detected a little sour note from Chuck and that he was like, oh, you think this is good? Well, you should try, uh, you know, McCallum, now he's, yeah. he's 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 drinking he's drinking uh, uh, Irish whiskey. He needs to get on, on that Invergordon. Because it does seem like the McGill's had a little bit of pride in that that heritage. Invergordon all the way. Get uh, on that, Chuck. Uh, Barry, that'd be scotch. Yeah, that's that's a whole other whole other uh, barrel of barrel. I mean, of... if you're not going to drink your native booze, you might as well drink the good stuff. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, Barry C. In the box cutter episode of Breaking Bad, Mike seemed genuinely surprised by Gus killing Victor. Uh, Mike did not see Gus suffocating Ponytail this season. And right now, presumably thinks Gus is just a very professional operator. Mm. In this episode, we had to confirm that Gus is indeed the psychopath. We presumed him to be when he shared his story with Hector. I have this horrible feeling that the Kai character may be the precursor to Jesse, rebellious troublemaker Mike might eventually form a bond with. Uh, I also cannot see Kai living the entire series, nor any of the Germans, uh, because Gus will want to tie up all the loose ends. If Gus kills all the Germans and Mike knows about it, does that betray the box cutter sh- episode shock that Mike has? Well, I mean, I mean, sort of. But you're assuming a lot there. You're, you're assuming, assuming the a Kai huge relationship. You're assuming. That Gus is going to want because, like, the thing Gus is the guy that sent those cleaning ladies to a bus to Guatemala. Well, I know there's a debate about whether that was code for having them killed. Sure, that might have been just to spare Walt's feelings. But like, mm-hmm. if you take it at face value, Gus is a guy who maybe when it comes to innocence or professionals or whatever, like you know, he 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 draws the line between raccoons, the the thieving opportunists, and folk you know sure yeah like like if just you, civilians and those in the drug game and that's why he thinks like i think that's the problem with the cartels he sees them as growing fat and lazy and eladio is this dandy and you know instead of seeing a real business opportunity they're obsessed with like maintaining their power structure like i mean i i I, I, I don't know i don't know about all this mike foreman i don't think there's enough time with mike foreman to buy a bond with kai yeah, I, I think they're walking a line, and this whole series is going to be an exercise in right. walking that line because right. you can't change the reputation or, I guess, the vision that we have of these characters given Breaking Bad too much. Otherwise, I I think just our feelings on the show start to fall apart. Right. I mean, the the shock to me is that really Mike has not changed at all as a character. That's true. Yeah. Like, like you know, you got you you've got. You got this central man who went from a basically good guy who is a bit of a ne'er do well to like a really bad guy who facilitated all this pain and death and destruction. But Mike's been kind of steady Eddie, steady mm-hmm. Mikey. Uh, so like the 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 like you said, the challenge with that and Vince is like everything that happens to Mike can't fundamentally change him as a character. Well, I, I think it's... Same it's, goes for Gus at this point. I think it's a trickier wicket than that. I don't even think it's about, like, whether you can change a character or not, but mm-hmm. rather whether you should change a character or not. Because right. we have very sacred visions of who these characters right. are, and you're seeing that in Gus, especially in Gus, I think, because we know uh, just enough to be super curious and not have, like, this concrete vision of who gus is yes. and yet we have very strong opinions on certain aspects of gus yeah yeah you're right uh 
Mike, on the other hand, I think we got Mike. Yeah, you know, yeah. We know who Mike is, and he's that guy, so they're not doing much with him different in this show. But, like, I, I think with Gus, it's tricky because Gus has the potential to be one character that they can really fuck up. And yeah. you can't but, even do that with Jimmy, really, right. because Jimmy is a different person than Saul. And so all you can really do is tell the story of how this different character, Jimmy, mm-hmm. becomes this other character, Saul. Right. right. They're not even really in the same And ballpark. if you say, like, oh, well, Jimmy would never do that, you're right, because he turned into Saul. Exactly. He changed entirely. But, so there's if, room if, to if make him Gus change. machine guns all of these Germans right in front of Mike, then Mike can't, like, freak the fuck out when he slits Victor's <laughs> right. throat for, for fucking up operational security. Yeah. So, like, that's, that's the traps, because, like, anything... Best case, best case scenario, all revelations and actions by these characters in the past deepen our understanding of their characters, and like, like they feel yeah. like a the last piece of the puzzle snapping in, like ah, it makes so much sense. Right. Neutral case, they just confirm or you know, like like play up to the stereotypes you already think or of. Or add on new layers that don't quite connect, right? right with the right. stuff we already know about that character, right? Like the cousins being a killing machine. We, we just get more evidence of that. Uh, sure, Worst case yeah. scenario, they do something that feels like it betrays the character or, right. well, how do you get from here to there? And that with, with Gus, I think you're right. That's the one there. Um, Cause it does seem like it makes pure good sense to kill these guys at the end of the project. Yeah. I'm I, man. I'm torn on that. I'm so torn on that because Yes, from a certain perspective, it makes very good sense to kill them all. Right. From another perspective, the long-term perspective, I I can't see how an operation could run that way, and so but, it makes no sense. But, but I think of how, like, how short-sighted the average like boardroom is in this corporate is not, America. This is not a short-sighted man, though. This is a very long-term, patient, mm. calculated man, and I okay. don't know that he would operate that way. But yet, then again, he's in this criminal underworld where right. any... Any slip up, any loose end could be the. Undoing this is of like you. the biggest. This is his. This is like his horcrux. Like this is the yeah. thing that gets discovered and it's the lid's blown wide open. There's no explaining an underground meth lab. No, you're right. So yeah. the, those two ideas are, are at war in my head. And, and even and a guy as careful as Gus might be like, you know, on this one thing, I might want to burn all bridges and you know erase all traces because fuck it. Like yeah. if this blows up in my face, everything's lost anyway. So I also, also Kai, like, I don't feel bad about killing that guy. Let's no, go. Let's no, do I it. Don't. <laughs> uh, Mike B is kind of feeling me on this Gus critique because we get it. Gus is playing the long game on Hector. This was revealed in season four of Breaking Bad. So the dramatically menacing, I decide what happens moment earlier this season <laughs> and Gus monologue in this episode. Don't tell the audience, except perhaps the mythical fan who hasn't seen Breaking Bad, anything it doesn't already know. This is one of the things that's frustrating about the season. I more than I agree with this fundamentally doesn't jibe with how I saw Gus purporting comporting himself. I kind of feel this like yeah. this does feel like a showy meaty speech to give John. It's it's a lot of sound and fury over nothing because it yeah, doesn't I mean, this add is, anything. This is sort of the collective scene of all of the ones we saw with Hector and Gus in the, the homes. Right. Like when he's going to visit him and he's saying, look at me, look at me. And we. We understand all that already, so why are we doing this drawn-out scene with this... All those beats uh, are contained within Breaking Bad. They and, are, yeah. We know and this. It's, it's, if it is the mythical Breaking Bad fan, guess what? They're going to be rolling their eyes and tapping their toe when they get to season four of Breaking Bad. Right. You can't 
you can't have it either way, really. Right. Now, it's it's uh, it's an interesting choice. And my only my hope is that that they are going to do something with a slight tweak in our understanding with Gus that really kicks in our and they're capable of it. You know, they're capable of taking your shit talk and turning it into jaws dropped by the finale. Absolutely. They've they shut are. me up a couple of seasons already. So we'll <laughs> see. Uh, Mariah, uh, Maria B. Do you think HH and M will go fully under? If so, do you think that will have any impact on Kim or Jimmy? And do you think Kim is fully done with the whole partnering with Jimmy thing? Or do you think she's still open to it once Jimmy gets his law degree back? I actually do think that this is Howard's end, you know? Mm hmm. I, I do think that this is the downfall of HH. You picked up the bacon gauntlet that uh, yeah. Vince and Peter have dropped here. I do think so. I think so too. Any impact on uh, Kim or Jimmy? Uh, For the fallout from HHM? That's less clear to me because Kim seems to be hitching her star to the Schweik. And you know, that's yeah. maybe that's interesting is that like what Kim, what we see Kim doing where. She has got a personal axe to grind against HH&M, so she's giving her clients. And there's also, I know Mesa Verde had a, you know, a, a, had a pretty bad taste in her mouth at HH&M because of Chuck's fuck up. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I wonder if like everything all over, this is like a microcosm of all of the the New Mexico law for uh, industries. They're all like, oh man, there's a. Their founder was just crazy, and then he set himself on fire. That's a that's a house that's out of order, and you know because H H and M, you think they would get the plum jobs, they would get like yeah. the oil man referral, they would get these banking referrals, and they're just not getting it. All they're getting is the slipping Jimmy work. Yeah, it's not the enough. Hummel figurines. It's not not great. Uh, what do you think about her other point? Point about is this it for Kim and Jimmy? Or is she open? I mean, this is the when does Jimmy become Saul question. Like, I, I think there's there's going to be a negative uh, finality to the relationship mm. between Jimmy and Kim. But like trying to judge, I, it's it's a journey, not a moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there will be a time where you look back and just like in World War II, yeah. World War One. Like what and say just all the cards are on the table it? here. What's and, the thing that sparked it? Yeah. Like Archduke Ferdinand, but you could go and look back at all the treaties and right. the the military buildup and the saber rattling and that you know, like I, I kind of agree with you that Jim and Kimmy being done is something we'll see in our rearview mirror, not something that will it'll feel like I'm although who knows, maybe Maybe not. I mean, maybe there's a spark. Maybe there's a moment that sets it all off. It's interesting to say spark because I was about to make an analogy to Chuck. Like, nobody saw Chuck (laughs) burning himself alive in his own building. and that's a moment that changed everything. And there could be that in Kim and Jimmy's relationship. Uh, If there is, I guess we'll point to that moment and say this is it. But I don't think there has been one of those yet. Right. It's been a a slow uh, sort of erosion of the relationship. And of course, no one saw Chuck burning himself alive, except for me. Well, before the series had even started, not everyone can be clairvoyant. So, what A-Rod. I would like to say about this Kim and Jimmy situation? No, uh, no, I, I defer to you, man. You got it. You have the floor. Uh, it'll Preach. never get old doing that on this show. Um, David H. Some clues to uh, Kim Wexler Breaking Bad timeline. Interesting. What if Kim is working behind the scenes for Saul Goodman? Is Saul really good enough to get Emilio off twice, even though they had him dead to rights? 
which is what Jesse says to Saul or Walt when Saul's first introduced. In this episode, Jimmy says to Howard, you're a shitty lawyer, but a damn fine salesman. But could that just be the relationship Saul and Kim settle into? Kim doesn't want the profile Saul brings, but she wants to do criminal law. Hmm. I mean, uh, it's it's a possibility that she's still around. I will say that we've seen Jimmy get people off absolutely when they're dead to rights. Oh, yeah. Because he's not a great lawyer, but he is very blustery and he's a showman and he's mm-hmm. loud and, you know, he uh, and, and cops just like anybody else doing a job. They don't want it any harder than they, you know, do I really want to go against this loudmouth attorney that's hammering right. me the Constitution? I mean, and shit. look at the squat like, cobbler, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's not a brilliant ass pull of case law. <laughs> no, it's not. It's essentially running. It's, it's it like, involves asses, though. <laughs> right. No, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like Jimmy, Jimmy's law career is essentially running legal scams against the cops. Yeah. And the prosecutors. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So. Yeah, I think he can do like not legally, but I think he can do it. Um, but can can Jimmy damage Kim's ethics enough that where she might be like, okay, I'll take you know, I will, I, I will do some work for you if you funnel me your real tough luck cases. I don't know why would Kim need to do that though. She's building up a reputation for a damn fine criminal defense lawyer. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it is a possibility. One that I think it's less and less likely with every step we see in the relationship between the two. Uh, let's see. Hatorian says the bank Walter White uses to get money for the RV for Jesse is a Mesa Verde branch. Uh, but it says a credit union on the sign. Uh, is it plausible that over the last few episodes, she convinces Mesa Verde to become a credit union? It would make sense for a character and also might be easier to get licenses and necessary approvals of Mesa changes from a bank to credit union. Could you get uh, that horse statue built? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. If, if there, there are there's, credit a, union? there's an existing waiver for credit unions, you just right. get the you get the horse waiver. <laughs> uh, so like you know, so so the the, the point of this like um, credit unions are a slightly friend, more consumer friendly, less scummy, less acquire, uh, less uh, nakedly acquisition of wealth than a bank. And mm-hmm. Kim kind of like has got that social bent, and she might be trying to do good in that. Like, is that? Huh. Um. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if they have noted that detail. I don't know because there's a big difference in a bank and a, and a credit union. There is, yeah. Uh, and Walt seems like the type of fiscally responsible guy who would seek out a good credit union, or maybe that's a credit union right. that the teachers' union uses. Uh huh. Um, they don't have their own teachers' credit union. I don't know, but uh, so yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that would be uh. That because like there's been other details that the Villa gang have overlooked. I mean, they're not perfect. They're pretty damn good, but they do like unlimited data plans uh, in 2003, you yeah. know, or 2007 now. Uh, let's move on to Todd B. Uh, whether the entire Germans, he wants to know whether the entire German Splunking team will end up either one in the lab subfloor, two buried deep in the <laughs> desert, or three allowed to cave another day, perhaps minus Kai. It's a separate proposition. I can see an incident coming where Kai ends up being disposed of as a troublemaker. The other fellows don't like it, so they all have become part of the scenery of ABQ in some fashion. I think it would be supremely cool, though, if they all end up dead under the floor of the lab. Something to consider on the next Breaking Bad rewatch. Hmm. Yeah, I don't I don't know what's going to become of them, but I have a bad feeling about this Kai guy. Yeah, Um. I. that's the thing. Like We've already talked about the, the disposition of the German team, but mm-hmm. I mean... 
absolute operational security if you kill these guys. But is that in Gus's character? Also, like murdering eight foreign nationals, it's probably not the easiest thing in the world to do, right? Like, aren't there? Won't they have families and wives and a, a, a consulate that's asking pointed questions? Mm-hmm. Uh, that seems foolish. Whereas, if you pay professionals to do the job, keep their mouth shut, and they're from Germany, you know, how the fuck? You know, were they going to do slip in a bar of Bavaria? Oh, I built this crazy underground thing beneath the laundromat. Well, what do you think's going on down there? Fuck if I know. <laughs> right. Where is it? I, somewhere in the 700 mile vicinity of, of Denver. Right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, oh, you mean in one of the one of the major cities within that region? Sure. Right. And even if they see it's like, oh, this looks a lot deserty. That describes so much of the American Southwest. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it sounded more and more like this, the Germans getting killed is going to be not a thing. Like Kai, Kai maybe. Though, the exception to the rule, yeah. Kai, maybe. I saw a lot of people on uh, the Breaking Bad subreddit uh, speculating about bar- uh, being barreled up, but that's definitely not going to happen. That would be that would piss me off if someone got disposed of using a, a barrel full of sulfuric acid, because that's that's that- a wall. That's that's the trick that Walt taught Mike. Yeah, yeah, I think so. so because they did it in the bathtub, and then they moved on to barrels. Right, they did the barrels. And they, they tried to get the tubs. That's how I think the first barreling that Mike was privy to was the kid on on the dirt bike. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I think you're right. I definitely are not going to see them in any blue barrels, but killing. I don't know. Like it's. Like, I think Jim's right. Like if they want to run their flaps in, uh, you know, Munich. Let them, because what the hell are they actually going to say? Yeah. All right, that's it for the feedback. We got better cast all baldmove.com is how you send us more. Don't forget about the forums, forums.baldmove.com. We'll be back next week with another breaking, uh, another breaking call Saul, a brother, uh, better call Saul. Don't forget we have the Monday night instant talk podcast out for your enjoyment. And if you're a club member, you can, you can uh, chat, chat in via the YouTube chat. Uh, until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. Later.